0: love the last show. You did. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to the audience. Thank you to the Roto Underworld audience for sending me those positive messages. You can contact the show at Roto Underworld on Twitter and email the show Roto Underworld at gmail.com. We had one of those rare shows a couple days ago on Wednesday where it was all positive feedback. You all seem to love it when I intertwine literary references and sports. That seems to be something that you want more of. So, I have heard you buzzards. I am here for you. You guide me. You guide the show. You're the producers, actually, up there in the sky. The producers in the sky have said, we want more literary references. We want more All the King's Men type references with our sports. And you shall have it. And I was thinking about Wednesday's show and the references to All the King's Men. And it hit me. We were talking about sports and tying that book to sports. And I realized, do you know, I, I, it was like there were a particular actor in sports that was the most obvious example of, of the corrupt individual, the immoral, unethical, the ends justify the means, shapeshifter in society. The quintessential example of that person exists in sports. It's sports agents. How did I not see that? It hit me after, probably in the shower, where I have all my ideas. But, you know, Roger Goodell, Nancy Pelosi, Donald Trump, they have nothing on sports agents! Oh, my gosh! Sports agents are the worst. Sports agents are affecting fantasy football in a negative way with their nefarious behavior. Oh, yeah! Look at Kevin White! Kevin White's agent... Went out and changed Kevin White's birthday in all public mediums where it could be changed. Now, maybe it wasn't Kevin White's agent specifically, but it was clearly, obviously, a declared mission from Kevin White's camp, however you want to call that. There was an operation and they said, we are going to implement Operation Make Kevin White Younger. It happened. Kevin White is not 23 years old. He's not. No, he is 23 years old, actually. What am I saying? Kevin White is 23 years old. He's not 22. I was getting him confused with Cameron Artist Payne, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Trust me. There's more age fraud where this came from. Kevin White wasn't the only rookie this year that was drafted based on a fraudulent age. Again, I believe it was perpetrated by members of Kevin White's camp. And if I, if I had to speculate, recklessly speculate on who the individual was that decided we need to go out and create a campaign to lower Kevin White's perceived age among NFL GMs to ensure that he is drafted as soon as possible in the NFL draft. If I had to guess at who that individual was that hatched that master plan, it was Kevin White's agent. That's who I would guess. Because again, he's not 22 years old. He is 23. And I am proud to say that on playerprofiler.com, Kevin White has always been listed as 23. And I give 100% of the credit for that finding, for that epiphany, that Kevin White is not the age that you read on Wikipedia, not the age that you read on the Bears website, not the age that you read on Roto World or ESPN or NFL.com. All of those sites got it wrong because all of those sites were simply copying and pasting the age from Wikipedia. And the first guy to say, hey, you know what? That doesn't make sense. You can't play multiple seasons at the junior college level and then play multiple seasons at the Division I level based on when he graduated from high school. It's impossible for him to be 22. I'm going to investigate this further. And then John Moore from Rotoviz found tweets online. Friends of Kevin White, wishing him a happy 22nd birthday over a year ago. And he just did the math and he said, okay, should I believe Wikipedia? We don't know the source of the information. Anyone can go into any Wikipedia page, one that's not super high profile. You can't go into Barack Obama's Wikipedia page and just edit things. But most pages, 99% of the pages on Wikipedia, anyone can simply go in and edit And it's up to the community to find the inconsistencies, to find the errors. That's what crowdsourcing is. That's the the whole model behind crowdsourcing. The whole theory behind crowdsourcing is that it is a self-policed medium. And the detective who did the police work on the Kevin White birthday, John Moore from Rotoviz. So congratulations to John Moore. I thank him. I take my hat off to him. He will tip his policeman's cap to me. Because he went out, found these tweets, and said, you know what? Why should I believe what Kevin White's agent or some unknown party wrote on Wikipedia about Kevin White when I have the statements of his friends and family members on social media? I'm going to take the statements of his friends and family members on social media as fact, not Wikipedia. And he was right. And I read his argument on Twitter. The only reason why on playerprofiler.com that we weren't following suit with the other major sports media platforms and listing Kevin White's age as 22 is because I just happened to see a tweet from John Moore on the subject. I did my own critical thinking and I agreed with John's position. And then we set the age to 23 accordingly. And it's interesting because agents have realized that age matters. That's why they went out and did that. That's why they initiated the Make Kevin White Younger campaign. The Immortal One! There's a movie with Brad Pitt. Benjamin Button. That's right. Kevin White is Benjamin Button. Every year that goes by, he gets a year younger. I bet that's what it was. Operation Benjamin Button. That's I, I would speculate that that's what Kevin White's agent called this campaign. This misinformation campaign that they initiated across all platforms (laughs) its crazy because if the Bears knew that Kevin White was 23 would they have drafted him with the top 10 pick probably not probably not it's crazy think about that that lie that that bit of age fraud made Kevin White a lot of money and you might think well if this happened six months ago why are you just bringing it up now because More information has surfaced because Kevin White's birthday occurred recently. The clock struck midnight again. And no, he didn't get another year older. No, Kevin White didn't turn 21. He didn't go from 22 to 21 at midnight. He went to 23. That's right. He went to 23. People are wishing Kevin White and mentioning his girlfriend in the tweet. Wishing Kevin White a happy birthday, and the girlfriend is replying. He's not 22. I get it. You're wishing him a happy 22nd birthday, but I'm his girlfriend, and I just want to tell everyone on social media, Kevin White is not 22. He's 23, and I think it's okay. I can come out and say it now because he already signed his contract, and he's already been drafted, and now he's injured and is going to miss the season, so... We're all moving on now. We could come out. We could reveal the truth. Kevin White is actually an old man. He's this year's version of Kelvin Benjamin in a number of ways, as it turns out. You know, he's old, he's injured, you know. And after that tweet, we had the proof. We had the information. We had the publicly available information to go to Wikipedia and change his birthday. Now, on Wikipedia, the source of the truth of the world, Kevin White's birthday is as it should be, as it always has been, as it turns out, 23 years old. And it's a reminder. It's a reminder to always read critically. Always read everything critically. That's what we talk about on this show. We talk about it in a sports context. Read the articles from training camp critically. Read the news blurbs critically. Read the coach quotes critically. Even read what's on Wikipedia critically. Read any encyclopedia, dictionary, novel, autobiography, biography, nonfiction, fiction, read it all critically. You never have permission to turn your brain off in this world while you are consuming information. And that lesson was learned once again with Kevin White's birthday. And Cameron artist Payne is next. Now we got it wrong too. Cameron artist Payne is actually 24 years old. He's He's even a year older than Kevin White. What has Cameron artist Payne been doing all of these years? Was he, was he in outer space? Was Cameron Artis Payne, did he get shipped off to another universe, another dimension? Where has he been? He's 24 years old. His career in the NFL is half over before it has even started. A lot of running backs come into the NFL at age 21. He's three years behind them. So people ask me, oh, what about Cameron Artis Payne? Do you like him? We know that Jonathan Stewart is injury prone. Yes, the generic injury-prone label. No, I do not necessarily believe that Jonathan Stewart is injury-prone. I am a Jonathan Stewart aficionado, an enthusiast of the Jonathan Stewart. And I am not a person who is rostering Cameron Artist Payne in any league because I do not see the upside. If something were to befall Jonathan Stewart, Cameron Artist Payne would not assume an every-down workload, and therefore I see no value in rostering him, regardless of the size of the league. If there was a player, a running back, outside of Jonathan Stewart on the Carolina Panthers that excites me, it would be Jordan Todman, because Jordan Todman has 4-4 speed. He can score long touchdowns. He can be active in the passing game in a way that Cameron Artis-Payne cannot. So if Jonathan Stewart were to go down, Jordan Todman could have one of those Ronnie Hillman runs from 2014, where he put up four or five highly fantasy relevant games in consecutive weeks. That's possible. For Jordan Todman, I don't see that as something that would be possible with Cameron Artis Payne, considering he will be out there with a cane and a walker at this point. Now, speaking of canes and walkers and the fragility of Jonathan Stewart. I wrote an article on playerprofiler.com. You should go read it. Go to playerprofiler.com forward slash articles to read articles that we, we are writing articles, Fast and Furious. Every day we're rolling out a new article. I highly recommend read them. We have listeners to the show, write articles for the website. It's a it's a great thing. It's It's just like Wikipedia in that way. It's crowdsourced information. And I wrote an article entitled... Physical fragility rates and tight end risk quotient. That's a long name, long title for an article. It was a long way of saying tight ends are prone to injury more so than any other position. And also, as a whole, as a cohort, they score less fantasy points than any other position. So the tight end position as a whole has this combination of having a low ceiling and a low floor, high risk. Not a lot of upside with the tight end position. So that's a fundamental zoomed-out argument against drafting tight ends with premium draft capital. Specifically, the rate of injury, so the num, the percentage number of games missed per position is as follows. Quarterback, 8.7% of their games are missed due to injury. Running back, 12.5% of their games missed due to injury. Wide receiver. This is over the last two years. 2013-2014. Wide receiver. 7.1%. Relatively low. Tight end. 16.8% of their games were missed due to injury alone. That's a big number. Over 4 percentage points higher than the running backs over the last two years. That number shocked me. Of all the research I did over the offseason... To compile metrics on playerprofiler.com like value over stream vos it was this finding it was physical fragility rates of the various positions that surprised me i had no idea that tight ends were this susceptible to injury and then once i saw the data it made perfect sense it became intuitive right away because you think about what the tight end position does what is their role on the team in running situations They are putting their body between themselves and these mutant outside edge rushers at the NFL level. Then on passing plays, they're operating over the middle in between 250-pound linebackers trying to reel in catches in traffic, and then their bodies are these stationary targets for kamikaze safeties. Go watch the hit that Ladarius Green took against the Patriots last year to see what I'm talking about. And so when you think about... The violence that they experience on a per-down basis at the NFL level, it makes sense. They would be the ones of all the skill position players because they're, they're doing two things. They're, they're this hybrid position where they're both a blocker and a receiver on any given play. So they're being asked to do more than anyone else on the field except perhaps quarterback. And so when you put it in that context, it makes sense that they would be getting injured a lot. And so based on that, I'm not drafting Rob Gronkowski in the first round. It's not going to happen. No other details. Just those fundamental truths about the tight end position. Put the player's ability off to the side. That's enough for me to say, no thanks. I'm not going to risk my first round pick on a tight end. It doesn't matter what mythology surrounds him. But I am trying to get my hands on Travis Kelsey. Because I think that you can get someone with a Rob Gronkowski-like ceiling in the fourth or fifth round... That becomes interesting to me. That becomes value. But Travis Kelsey, his draft stock is rising. It's becoming harder and harder to get Travis Kelsey. I used to pencil in Travis Kelsey in the fifth round. That's not happening anymore. He is almost always being selected in round four. Sometimes I can't get him there. Sometimes it's just not going to happen. Oh, well. There are a handful of alternatives to Travis Kelsey, however. And they're available much later, thankfully. The first one is Tyler Eifert. His ADP is 113.9, but his is rising too. Just in the last couple weeks, he's now going a full round earlier than he used to. And the thing you like about Tyler Eifert was he was a super precocious prospect. He was the best tight end prospect to come out of college in the last decade. Tyler Eifert, 26.9% college dominator at Notre Dame. He was the featured receiver for a major conference high-profile university 13.7 yards per reception 83.7 spark score 71st percentile and all of his workout metrics from 40 time to burst score to agility score on playerprofiler.com all in the 70th percentile or above so hugely productive in college an incredible athlete drafted in the first round now 25 years old, entering his uber prime. That is the kind of athlete that you want to roster on your fantasy team, particularly knowing that he's being drafted outside the top 100 picks. It's amazing. It's amazing. And you know that the Bengals are going to be better this year on offense. They will have more red zone opportunities this year because Tyler Eifert himself is healthy, as well as A.J. Green and Marvin Jones. It will be a more prolific offense than it was last year. Last year, the offense really stagnated. Only 528 pass plays in 2014. It was 29th in the league. That will go up. So all signs are pointing up for Tyler Eifert. And what's important with Tyler Eifert is that he's not small. So all these metrics together, you list them all out. And you could say, wow, that, that sounds fine. But Max Williams was also very productive in college and had some above-average workout metrics. The problem with Max Williams is he's significantly smaller. He's under 250 pounds, and he's 6'4". So Max Williams looks the part of an NFL move tight end, a one-dimensional move tight end. And certainly, as we've seen with Owen Daniels and Charles Clay, that if you are an exceptional move tight end, if you are in the upper echelon, it's the F position, in the offensive configuration, the F tight end, the move tight end. You can be fantasy relevant. You can absolutely be a top 10 tight end if you're smaller and you're not getting a 100% snap share, if you're essentially playing in passing situations only. You can, as long as you're in a high volume offense, you can achieve tight end one status in fantasy. It's just not as easy. The guys in the top five, Martellus Bennett, Jimmy Graham, Rob Gronkowski, Greg Olson. I mean, the list goes on. Those guys are well over 250 pounds. They're typically 6'5", or 6'6", and they play every down, close to a 100% snap share. They are Because they are in in every situation, they have opportunities to catch more passes, particularly in the red zone. That's why those players are at the top. That's why Greg Olson led the league in yards last year. That's why Martellus Bennett led the league in receptions last year. Because they're in on every play. Did Greg Olson lead the league in yards last year? No, he didn't. No, he didn't. He was number two. Rob Gronkowski, of course, Rob Gronkowski led the league in yards last year. No one was better than Rob Gronkowski in yardage. That's just insane. insane. But Greg Olson was second in the league in yards last year. He was the only tight end other than Gronkowski to cross that 1,000-yard threshold. And it helped that he was 6'6", 255, not 6'4", 245. That makes a big difference. Now, I'm not saying that there is some arbitrary number that if you don't meet this particular arbitrary threshold, you can't be a successful tight end in the league. I'm not doing that. I always object to that. But it just takes 10 pounds and a handful of inches to make a big difference. To make someone who has a high probability of ascending versus a player with a low probability of ascending. That's what I'm talking about. That's why I like Tyler Eifert. Because he is big enough and athletic enough and has a history of production. That's also why I like Austin Safarian Jenkins. Very similar thesis. 6'6". 262, 62nd percentile or above in every workout metric, 29.5% college dominator rating, 87th percentile. So hugely productive in college, a great athlete, and he was the sixth pick in the second round. So there's also draft capital invested there. And just like Tyler Eifert, he is scheduled to be the every down tight end for his offense this year. And just like Tyler Eifert, Tyler Eifert, and the Bengals, Austin Safarian Jenkins, on the Buccaneers, the Buccaneers are scheduled to have an increase in offensive volume, more pass plays this year, more red zone visits in 2015 from 2014. So the thesis around Austin Safarian Jenkins and Tyler Eifert is exactly the same. Then we had a Buzzard write-in, knowing how much I like Travis Kelsey. Buzzard wrote an article to me. This is the article. The article says the following. Travis Kelsey is only slightly better than Zach Ertz. That's the the summary of the article. And the justification for this position was that Zach Ertz only had slightly less catches and yards than Travis Kelsey in 2014, and they were similar prospects coming out of college in terms of draft capital invested and college productivity. And therefore, because Zach Ertz, his ADP is 101, and Travis Kelsey, his ADP is 48. It makes sense that Zach Ertz is a better value than Travis Kelsey because of last year's counting stats. That is the main thrust of the argument. Okay, let's let's go through this right now. I I, I didn't know that we had to go through this exercise, but clearly we do because the specter of the counting stats has emerged once again. So we need to need to we need to hammer this out. We need to. Make sure we address this. People think that Zach Ertz is a discounted version of Travis Kelsey, and it's just not true. So to summarize, we'll start. Zach Ertz has two healthy seasons, and in those two seasons has never been a full-time player. The starting tight end for the Philadelphia Eagles in 2013 and 2014 was Brent Selleck, and Brent Selleck remains on the roster. Travis Kelsey, on the other hand, is one year removed from microfracture surgery that he opted for in 2013 cost him the entire season. And even in 2014, there were multiple reports that Travis Kelsey wasn't really feeling 100%, that he was still in the recovery process from a major procedure that he underwent in 2014. Just wasn't never 100%. The idea that last year, Travis Kelsey wasn't at 100%, and we have yet to see 100% Travis Kelsey, that's scary and exciting, right? But, after only a half a season under his belt, Travis Kelsey achieved full-time status, every down status, throughout the second half of 2014. And the former starter, the incumbent, Anthony Fasano is gone. So the two situations are very different. Selick is still there. Fasano is gone, number one. Ertz never ascended to a full-time role in 2014 or 2013. Travis Kelsey did in 2014. Now, if you look at their situations, one guy is the entrenched starter on an every-down basis. That's Travis Kelsey. Zach Ertz will continue to be a featured role player. If you had to define what Zach Ertz's role is going to be on offense, it's a featured role player. Now, beyond that, look at the quarterback. It's a chicken and the egg, right, with Alex Smith. Which came first? Alex Smith's awful reputation as a check-down artist or his bad receivers? Because Alex Smith has never had good receivers. You can go back to the 49ers. His best receiver was Michael Crabtree. His next best receiver was Arnez Battle with the Kansas City Chiefs. Alex Smith's best receiver was a decrepit and mummified Dwayne Bow. His second best receiver was <gasps> Donnie Avery, a broken Donnie Avery. So Alex Smith has never had good receivers. We're supposed to judge Alex Smith after a career spent throwing to nobody. Really? Really? We know what Alex Smith is? I'm not sure we know what Alex Smith is yet. He's been in the league almost 10 years, and I'm still not sure exactly what he is because he hasn't had weapons yet. On a full-time basis. Now he's going to have Travis Kelsey in a full-time every-down role. Now he has Jeremy Macklin, an established wide receiver one. Now he has Albert Wilson, a true field stretcher. Now he has Chris Conley, one of the greatest athletes at the wide receiver position in the history of the NFL. Chris Conley, the guy that broke the spark score. So yeah, huge upgrade in terms of weaponry for Alex Smith in the offseason. So I think Alex Smith, his arrow's pointing up. The Kansas City Chiefs, like the Cincinnati Bengals, their offensive volume will increase this year. So there will be more opportunity for Travis Kelsey. And it's, it's going to compound itself because not only will the Chiefs be moving the ball more efficiently and have more red zone opportunities, but Travis Kelsey will be in the lineup more. So, there will be this virtuous cycle of production for Travis Kelsey that he will enjoy this year. And not only that, last year, Travis Kelsey was hugely efficient. When he had opportunity, when he was given snaps, his production premium, the situation agnostic efficiency metric on playerprofiler.com, 24.5, sixth in the league. Target premium, plus 56.4%, third in the league. When they were throwing the ball to Travis Kelsey, he was more than 50% more productive with it than any other receiver on the Chiefs. 9.9 yards per target was top 12. Catch rate of 77% was top 5. Contested catch rate of 80%. 80% contested catch rate, ninth in the league. So he was efficient by every measure. Exciting. Very exciting. And when you're projecting fantasy points for a full season, you don't look at counting stats. You look at opportunity and efficiency, and you run the numbers. Kelsey's opportunity is skyrocketing, and his efficiency was top five in the league in his de facto rookie season. Think about that. Meanwhile, Zach Ertz is still just a move tight end with bad efficiency numbers. Zach Ertz, his production premium, negative 3.9, outside the top 30. Target premium, negative 4.3%, outside the top 30. Yards per target, 8.0 outside the top 30. Catch rate, 65.9. 29th in the league. Okay. Congratulations, Zach Ertz. You are in the top 30 by one. His red zone catch rate, Zach Ertz, was only 33%. You hear this. Oh, Zach Ertz, red zone weapon. Not really. Not at all. Totally inefficient in the red zone. Meanwhile, Travis Kelsey's red zone catch rate, 76.9. What? More than double Zach Ertz. Who do you think is the red zone, the real red zone weapon? Yeah, the big guy, the big efficient player, not the smallish inefficient player. But I'm to believe that Zach Ertz is a better value than Travis Kelsey because you can get him five rounds later. It's, it's ridiculous. Kelsey versus Ertz is the quintessential example of why opportunity and efficiency trump counting statistics in fantasy football projections. It's like comparing Charles Johnson to Brian Hartline. Technically, they have the same counting stats. But when you project their production forward, given their late-season ascension into every-down starter roles, the two players are in no way comparable. So I would change the conversation. Someone that wants to talk about Travis Kelsey versus Zach Ertz, I would discard that conversation and say, that's too much of an apples and oranges conversation. If you want to compare players who are strictly situational move tight ends, that's fine. But you can't compare a situational move tight end to an every down tight end in the NFL. A tight end workhorse. Again, that's an apples and oranges conversation. It's also a little bit like comparing Brandon Cooks and Philip Dorsett. Sure, they look alike. They have similar measurables and similar college resumes, but Philip Dorsett will be the stretch X in three receiver sets at best. On the other hand, Brandon Cooks is going to be the focal point of his offense. So these are completely different roles with completely different floors and completely different ceilings. The same is true with Travis Kelsey and Zach Ertz. If you're going to go out there and get excited, get exuberant about a move tight end who doesn't play every snap, a non-every-down tight end, if, if that archetype gets you excited, it must be on a high-volume offense. And fortunately, Zach Ertz does play on a high-volume offense. There are some things that I don't like about Zach Ertz, for sure. The thing I do like about Zach Ertz is that he's playing on an offense that threw the ball 654 times. It's fifth in the league. So that's that's volume. That's what you want. So if you are looking at move tight ends on high-volume offenses, why are you overdrafting Zach Ertz with pick 100? Why don't you target Josh Hill at pick 143, who will play a similar role and has similar upside? And then the question is, well, Drew Brees was adamant that Ben Watson is the starting tight end. Okay. And Chip Kelly has always admitted that Brent Selleck is the Eagles starting tight end. Because Brent Selleck is a more competent blocker, just like Ben Watson is a more competent blocker than Josh Hill. And and what? Look at Josh Hill's efficiency last year. He led the league in production premium, 52.2. Small sample size, okay, 14 receptions, (laughs) 20 targets, small sample size. I get it. But in a small sample size, he was extraordinarily efficient. Plus 67.6 target premium. These small sample size efficiency metrics are a little silly. 83.3% catch rate. Second in the league. Think about that though. He had a better red zone catch rate than Travis Kelsey. On not that fewer targets. Even. Did you know that Josh Hill had five touchdowns last year? That was top 12 in the league. Only playing 12 games. With a 28% snap share in those games. His opportunity... His snaps are going to rise dramatically in 2015. Ben Watson is at the very end of his career. I think most of us would agree this is likely to be Ben Watson's last year in the league. And Josh Hill's best comparable player on playerprofiler.com, Tyler Eifert.